Um, when I first met, uh, this is Vernon Yeager, by the way. Will you give him another big round of applause? When I, uh, when I first met Vernon, I had the opportunity uh, sometime later to go out and have lunch with him. And uh, he was sharing some of his life with me, some of his stories. And already at that time, my, my thinking was going into, we've got to interview Vernon mode. And uh, we've got to get his story out here to some more of you folks. Because Vernon did fight in World War II. What year were you born, Vernon? 1923. 1923. So that makes him, I believe, the oldest person in the room today. So he's deserving of a great deal of respect. Amen? Yes. All right. So uh, Vernon is a nonagenarian. That means he turned 90 this year. And uh, I'm telling you, brother, if I'm as energetic and enthusiastic and sharp looking as you are at 90, then I'm all for it. I'll, I'll, I'll go for it. Um, tell us about um, your decision, or were you drafted to enter World War II? Well, I, uh, I signed up uh, after I graduated from high school. By the way, it was here in Dallas. I lived in uh, northwestern Arkansas, but we came down to visit my uh, sister after my father had died in uh, January, and my mother and I came down here and I registered for the draft when I was 19 here in uh, Dallas at Draft Board 13, which was in uh, uh, Preston Center and a little uh, one-story building beside the theater. And then I later volunteered for the uh, Army Air Corps. At that time, we did not have an Air Force individually. It was the Air Corps, Army Air Corps, which was part of the Army, and you could be switched back and forth from e either one uh, at that time because, and I served in the South Pacific under General MacArthur. Amen. That's awesome. That's awesome. Now, I, uh, I put this post one time on Facebook, and Vernon is on Facebook. He's so contemporary. <laughs> and uh, I put this post on Facebook asking people to, uh, to give the first concert that they ever attended. And uh, so, you know, people were talking that we were all dating ourselves by our first concert. And uh, Vernon gave his first concert, and it relates to World War II, and it was just the coolest thing in the world. Tell, give us that little, uh, that little story about your first concert, Vernon. We were stationed in the northern part of the island of New Guinea, which is now part of Indonesia. It was a very isolated area, and uh, MacArthur's headquarters were in that area. Our, uh, we were camped in an area about a mile from his headquarters. And um, the USO show came in. It was Bob Hope, Jerry Colonna, Francis Langford, and the Andrews sisters. And we went to a theater which was sitting on the side of the hill. And we sat uh, on the side of the hill and watched the, the program. By the way, it was pouring down rain. <laughs> I mean, pouring down rain. And we had on our ponchos and our helmet liners, and the water was running down beside us. 
But the stage was covered and the program went on and it was quite an experience. Amen. Amen. Um, so you have told me in the past that uh, that you grew up in a Christian home. Right. And uh, that your parents were, were strong believers. Right. So by the time you entered uh, the uh, the military and were fighting in World War II, um, were you a, a, a believer? Were you a Christian? Yes. yes okay. Yes. I was fortunately born to a very Christian home. My mother and father raised me right. And my story isn't one of drugs, drinking, or that kind of situation. I just told the pastor it's very dull. I uh, became a Christian very early in, uh, in life and followed my, uh, my parents' teaching of living for God. And it's been very helpful for me because God has been so good to me. Amen. So Amen. good. Can you uh, relate uh, at least one of the stories that you shared with me of how God was good to you and watched over you during the war? Well, I uh, volunteered for the Army Air Corps. And when I got down to uh, Little Rock, Arkansas, they needed uh, foot soldiers. So they transferred me into the infantry and sent me to Mineral Wells, Texas, where I did my 90 days of uh, training there. At the end of that, they came through and wanted people to sign up for the Air Corps because they needed pilots for training. So I had already taken the test. All I had to do is fill out the papers and transfer. And so they shipped me up to uh, Wichita Falls. And the officer that uh, gave me the test, the physical, he said, I don't think you will ever make the pilot training because of your eyes. And I did wash out there in the, in the pilot training. And I was very, very disappointed. I thought God had forgotten me. <laughs> I'm sorry. But I, I went ahead and they, I was, then I was going to take mechanics training and they run a group of uh, Frenchmen in ahead of us uh, and we had to wait two weeks. Well, then I spent the time on uh, KP, kitchen police, and uh, they finally decided to send us overseas and I was shipped to Salt Lake City, went overseas and I was so unhappy that, that God hadn't answered my prayer because I was going overseas without any, any training, any specialties, whatever. And I went over and was signed to a uh, bomb group, attack bomb group. And we were normally stationed about 50 miles behind the lines and backed up the infantry. And uh, everything was fine. And, and I came back and was discharged in January of uh, 1943. And uh, after I got home, 
I naturally didn't, didn't have uh, any, uh, any clothes and I hadn't gotten the car yet. So I had to take the bus to uh, Fedville where the University of Arkansas is to buy some clothes. And while I was in J.C. Penney's looking for clothes, I looked up and I thought, that looks like Frank. And about that time he turned around, it was. He had one leg go. I talked to him, and he was one of the ones that had gone on for the pilot training. Mm. At the end of their first months of the pilot training, they had switched them back into the infantry, and those men had been shipped overseas to take part in the uh, D-Day landing in Italy, Sorrento uh, landing. Four of the boys that I went uh, in the service with had been killed. Frank had lost his right leg, was on crutches. I spent days thanking God for unanswered prayers. But it taught me a lesson from that on. When I pray for God and ask for things, I end it with, not my will, but thine be done, because God has a better plan. Not that uh, if I had gone on to pilot training and been and on the landing in Italy, that God couldn't have taken care of me and brought me back whole and safe, but he had a better plan. And I praise him for it. Amen. Vernon. God bless you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Thank you. So the next time you pray for something and don't get it, don't be upset. God's got a better plan for you. Amen. I say all the time, a no is just as good as a yes with God. You just want his answer. Amen. Would you agree, Vernon? Amen. Will you give Vernon a hand? I appreciate it. Thank you so much. Well, Vernon is deserving of a whole lot more than we've been able to to give him to honor him um, at the uh, at the end of his life. This COVID has just stolen a lot from a lot of people, and uh, you know, I just uh, I hope you'll remember him. You know, some of you weren't here when he was here. Uh, many of you were here when he was here, and uh, he is the reason that I chose to do a service focused around faithfulness because uh, Vernon he just he. Uh, he was emblematic of that. He um, consistently demonstrated that he was a faithful person. Um, when he when he was ninety here, he had just uh, gone in and gotten his driver's license renewed. And when you're that age, you can only get your driver's license renewed every two years. And he was so excited. Do you know why he was excited? So he could drive? No, so he could drive to church. He wanted to make sure he could always be here. And, you know, there are many of us who make many excuses about why we're going to do whatever we're going to do. But people of his generation were promise keepers. If they gave you their word, you didn't, you didn't even have to shake hands. You just knew they were going to keep their word. I wonder if you evaluate your generation, if you can say the same thing. I know that I can't really with my generation. 
But it seems like as each generation has progressed along, we've become more and more emotional in our decision-making. And so we'll say we're going to do something, but if our feelings change, then we just don't do it. We don't, we don't feel like we have to keep our... Listen, if you, if you say something, you're giving your word. And so Vernon was here. Vernon was here every Wednesday. I knew even if I was going to have a low Wednesday, Vernon Yeager would have gotten in his car and driven all the way from Dallas out here, and he'd be here about 10 minutes early, 5 or 10 minutes early, ready to go. He was here for everything. He came to concerts that I knew he wouldn't like. (laughs) I mean, we used to do some concerts here, youth-oriented concerts, you know, harder-sounding music and so forth. Uh, Elijah Nelson was in one of those bands, and we had several of them. Man, Vernon wasn't rocking out. He was just here to be supportive. And I was like, man, what do we? One of the reasons why we constructed a drum room right here was so that we could control the volume of our band, um, because you know, however loud the drums are, that's how much you got to turn everything else up so you can hear everything. And Vernon never complained about that, by by the way. But we wanted to make it so that we could control that. In fact, Vernon's favorite instrument in our band was Josh on the drums. When, when Vernon finally had to go into assisted living, um, I bought him one of those little Roku sticks so that he could watch the service on YouTube. Now, by that time, uh, his, you know, his condition had deteriorated, and it's, it's hard enough when you get older to learn new things and to learn technology. But, you know, I went over it and over it and over it with him so that, because it's just not straightforward. Those of you that have grown up with technology, it's just like second nature to you. When you're in your 90s, it is not. In fact, his phone broke, and we bought him a new phone, and we thought it was the same as his old phone, but it wasn't. And it took him a long time to figure out how to use that phone. But you know what? He figured out how to use the Roku stick and navigate over to YouTube and turn it on so that he could watch our service. And I'd go and see him, uh, you know, the week after and say, Vernon, did you catch the service? Yeah. He said, yeah, but I couldn't hear the drums. (laughs) So I'd have to go and, you know, either talk to Lige or, you know, tweak the drums, get the drums up there so Vernon can hear the drums because he wanted to hear those drums. He was just really blessed by that. So interesting guy. Um, you know, throughout the years, every Christmas, we had poinsettias all the way across the stage here, and those were purchased from uh, one of our students that was selling them from uh, Garland Christian Academy. Vernon bought all of those every year to make sure that they were up here. Every Easter, we had beautiful Easter lilies that sat up here. Vernon bought those every single year. Now, see, if he was alive, he, he wouldn't like it that I was saying all of this, Right? Vernon clocked how long he had been at our church by when he wrote his first tithe check. He knew that it was November or December of 2009 because that's when he wrote his first tithe check. Vernon Yeager, three weeks away from his death, barely, barely able to pay attention, wanted to make sure that I came and got his tithe check and brought it back to church. That man was faithful, and you and I need to emulate that. What I'm trying to get at is that he was faithful in every way. And in order to be faithful to something outside of yourself, you have to be unselfish. You have to really be selfless. So I want to take a look at this concept of of faithfulness. Vernon certainly is a a, uh, remarkable example of it. But number one... Uh, in your outline, 
if you're paying attention to that, is that God is faithful. So Vernon was the inspiration for this, and he's certainly uh, the example for this. But the reason that those who belong to the Lord are faithful is because God is faithful. And that's something that you can count on. That's what makes God trustworthy. That's what ensures that everything's going to be all right. You know, we look at the world and things just are coming unglued all, all around us. But if you have given your life to Christ and he's in control and you realize that God is faithful, then you know that God is going to be faithful to you, right? God will be faithful to you. Um, what does faithful mean? We think we know what it means, but it means to be true, right? To be true to your word, to be true uh, to, uh, you know, what is good and what is right, right? Um, to, to be consistent would be another way of saying. Uh, faithfulness means true or consistent. It means to be unchanging. So when you make a statement, you, you know, you don't change the next day or the day after. Now, that doesn't mean your feelings don't change, but when you make a statement and you make a promise, you keep the promise. And by the way, that's why people in Vernon's generation stayed married. Not because they felt like they were in love all the time, but because they stood in front of their family and their friends and they made a promise and those folks were just promise keepers. So this is why his generation, you find, you know, staying married until their spouse passes away, 50, 60, 70 years. Now, Vernon never got married, right? He was single his entire life. But we have other examples of folks that came to this church for periods of time. Uh, in fact, uh, uh, Margie and Donald Sloan, who introduced us to Vernon, who went to our church for about a year or two, uh, they were married for 65 years before Donald Sloan passed away. That's because when you make a statement like that, when you make vows and you stand in front you know, of your family and your friends and God, uh, you keep it. And that's what those folks did. They kept their promises. Well, God is faithful, and faithfulness means consistency. It means you're true. It means uh, something that is unchanging. Number three, when someone or something is faithful, then it can be counted on. It can be trusted. So that means faithful equals trustworthy. So there you go for, for number three. Faithful equals trustworthy. You know you can count on someone who is faithful, so they are worthy of your trust. And hopefully, you know, I say this to to, to kids a good bit and to young people a good bit, you're at a time in your life when you, when you like to have friends. But you don't want to have friends that are not trustworthy. If you have friends that lie to you, if you have friends that hurt you, it doesn't matter how cool you think they are, how popular you think they are. Ladies, it, it's almost, uh, you know, uh, a parable that Young ladies get involved with dangerous young men, with young men who will use them and abuse them. And why that is a mystery to many of us, right? Why do some women, many women, like bad boys? And it's obvious that they do because there are all these romance novels that are about these horrible men, right? Fifty Shades of Grey? You remember that disaster? They made three movies like that. That is indicative of some very, very perverse, disturbed thinking. Right? And so there, I'm not trying to get into all of the, the reasons here as if I even could. But the point is, 
you need to evaluate, first of all, whether someone is a promise keeper, whether they're faithful, are they trustworthy? And there are other there are other ways to evaluate whether someone is trustworthy, but you shouldn't be getting into a relationship with someone just because you like being around them or just because they may make you feel good at certain times, right? Um, we need to have higher standards than that, right? So um, this, by the way, is why we can trust God. He's trustworthy. He's faithful. Number four, faithful in Hebrew is the same word as, what do you think? Truth. Isn't that interesting? In fact, uh, it's, it's, a, it's a family of words, emet, emenet, uh, emuna. But do you know what word comes from that family of words? It's a word that many of us use on a regular basis in church. Amen. Amen means true. It means that is a faithful saying. So every time you say amen, you're saying that's true. That can be trusted. So we need to understand then that this idea of faithfulness is related to truth. Well, the truth is unchanging. And the reason that truth is unchanging is because truth is related to God, who is immutable. Say immutable. Big theological word just means he doesn't change. The scripture says Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, yes, and forever. Does Jesus change? He's the same yesterday, today, yes, and forever. That's good news. Because that means that we're not going to put ourselves in a position with God to where we, you know, we create some sort of an emotion with God that causes him to turn away from us and not love us anymore. Even if God has to discipline you, he's going to discipline you in love because that's his nature. We define love. We define goodness. And I'm saying here, we define truth and faithfulness uh, from God. Now, here are some some scriptures related to that. Uh, Deuteronomy 7.9 says, I love this. This is good. Know therefore that the Lord your God, he is God, the faithful God who keeps his covenant. That's, that's his promise to his people. He keeps his covenant and his loving kindness to the thousandth generation with those who love him and keep his commandments. And then I posted this one on my Facebook today. The rock, his work is perfect for all his ways are just, a God of faithfulness and without injustice, righteous and upright is he. And then the psalmist in Psalm 36, 5 uh, speaks to the Lord and says, Your loving kindness, O Lord, extends to the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches to the skies. And then I would commend Psalm 89 to you. Just write that down, Psalm 89, because the whole psalm focuses on God's faithfulness. But that psalm ends with the psalmist confessing that he doesn't understand because he's going through and his people are going through such difficulty that seem to be in conflict with God's faithfulness. So he's confessed that he believes that God is faithful, but at the conclusion of that psalm, he says, Lord, what's going on with all of this? And that might be where you are. So this could be some further reading for you and something for you to meditate on and pray about, Psalm 89, right? So number five, then, faithfulness is a character quality of all those who belong to the Lord. Faithfulness is a character quality of all those who genuinely belong to the Lord. If you belong to Jesus, if you follow Jesus, if the Holy Spirit is living inside of you, faithfulness is part of who you are. In fact, it is called a fruit of the Holy Spirit. 
Listen to what it says in Galatians uh, chapter 5. It says, For the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Faithfulness is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit, when God's Spirit is dwelling in you, faithfulness is going to flow out of you. It's going to be part of who you are. It's not a feeling. It's simply a part of your character. It's a part of your nature. Now, I, I must say, Vernon is certainly not the only person in this church that is faithful. When you show up here and you see the same faces week in and week out, you know who's faithful around here. When you show up here and the lights are still on and the air conditioning is running and we're able to get our technology and put everything together, you know that there are people that are being financially faithful in this church. Now, I made it a point not to worry when the shutdown happened, but there was a temptation to worry. Because I thought, what is going to happen when people can't come to church? Hopefully, we've you know, got this set up um, so that we're broadcasting on YouTube, and we've been doing that for three years. We've been broadcasting on Facebook since Facebook Live came on. And my, my hope was, my, you know, uh, my earnest desire was that people would not stop worshiping, that they would tune in with that. And, you know, there's a real blessing that now YouTube is available on most TVs, your smart TV. Uh, I told you about the Roku stick. But nonetheless, I thought, you know, that's great, but I'm, I'm considering what is going to happen when people are not able to come to church, does that mean that we're going to have to, you know, shut some things down? Does that mean that I'm going to have to live real, real tight and start giving more and more of my salary back to the church until, you know, I'm just trying to figure out what to do, right? Um, you know, they had the payroll protection plan. I thought, well, I don't think it's a good idea to take money from the government if you're a church, but they're saying you can. I wonder if we should look into that. I even told the ladies, you know what? I don't think anything bad's going to happen, but I want to be careful. I want to watch these things. Do you know what? You all have been faithful. We haven't had to shut anything down. In fact, we saw one of our best months in, I think it was like May, and it was at the time when we had barely come back to me. It, it's amazing. Vernon's not the only one that is faithful. Many of you are demonstrating that. What I hope you're seeing here that, that you're, you're being encouraged by, and for some of us being challenged by, what this means to belong to God and to be faithful and to look around you at people who are faithful, right? Um, number six in your outline, the faithful are faith-filled, Listen to what, this is a, a verse from Habakkuk, a small prophet in the Old Testament that is quoted a number of times, including, and most importantly, perhaps uh, in the, uh, the book of Romans, which uh, uh, that has been called the gospel according to Paul. Romans lays out the gospel and how it applies to us. We look at the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, because that's the good news about Jesus' life. But how that works out for you and I, how that applies to us, how we get saved, that's found in Romans. And at the very beginning of Romans, it says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. For from God, for in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed from faith unto faith. As it is written, the righteous person will live by their faith. So that's what Habakkuk 2.4 says. Uh, in fact, the entirety of the verse is, look at the proud. They trust in themselves, and their lives are crooked. But the righteous will live by their faithfulness to God. People that are proud are self-centered. 
And self-centered people are going to tell you whatever they think you want to hear so they can get what they want. Their word can't be trusted. The proud, the self-centered cannot be trusted. The only thing you can trust them to do is act in their own self-interest. So you're wise if you just look at people. It's, the question has been asked. Now, when I was in college, we had these debates. Um, are human beings basically, fundamentally good or evil? And my answer to that question is yes. <laughs> human beings can be very, very good or can be very, very evil. But one thing you can count on is that human beings are selfish. By the way, this is why socialism and capitalism and capitalism are at polar opposites. Socialism sounds good. It sounds like we're going to help people that need help, but it never works because it doesn't take into account the reality that people are inherently selfish and they will respond when they their initiative to to do and to work is rewarded. People don't continue to work and give their best work when they know that half of their income or more is going to be given away. This is why socialism doesn't work. This is why communism does not work. This is why Marxism is a lie. It sounds good. But I'm going to tell you this. We're 100 days away from the election. And if you vote in leftists and socialists, the only way you're going to get out of it is to shoot your way out. These folks want to take over. And we need to live this reality, okay? Christian people, of the goodness of, of their hearts, will choose to give and often do. But it's because that's what they want to do. You see that in the early church in uh, chapter 2 of Acts and in chapter 4 of Acts. It says these people were selling their property. They were giving their excess money of their own free will. It wasn't being taken from them and redistributed according to the government. They were giving this to the apostles because they could trust the apostles who loved Jesus to give it to the people who were in need. Everything that you give in this church, we take 10% of it and we set it aside. And then we use that and we, we need to do it better and more. We, 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 we build it up and the ladies are like, hey, Pastor Darrell, we need to start giving some of this away. So, you know, then I do. And they're like, okay, good. You did. We gave $1,000 a couple of weeks ago uh, to um, Samaritan's Purse. I give, I have us give a lot to Samaritan's Purse. Uh, we give money to the denomination that originally sponsored us, uh, to the Dallas Baptist Association and uh, the Baptist General Convention of Texas, because they sponsor all sorts of really, really good stuff. But we give in all sorts of ways. You give because you choose to give, not because someone is forcing you to give. That is something, that's what the Apostle Paul said. He said, you should not give reluctantly or under compulsion. Reluctantly is like, okay, I guess. Under compulsion is like, no, you have to. You can't belong to this church unless you're a tither. No. I want you to be compelled by the Spirit of God and to give with gratitude to give with a cheerful heart. That's what the Apostle Paul said, that we need to give with a cheerful heart, right? You don't need the government taking your money. And I'm guaranteeing you, you want to vote socialists in? You, you can count on giving away a minimum of half of your income. The average tax rate in socialist countries is 55%. How much are they taking out of your check now? How much do you think they're going to be taking out of your check? This is why capitalism works and socialism doesn't, because it takes into account the fact that human beings are inherently selfish. That's just wisdom. 
That's not a value to be promoted. I'm not trying to get you to go out and read Ayn Rand, all right? And if you know who that is, you'll understand why I'm saying that. As a Christian, I want you to be someone who shares. I want you to be someone who is concerned about other people, who wants to help other people. But I do not want a government in place that forces you to do that and forces you to give half of your money or more so that they can distribute it and give it to who they please, right? So we need to realize that we choose to be faithful. We choose to be givers. That's, that's, that should be our free choice. When it's compelled, you don't get rewarded for that. That's just something that has to happen. So you and I need to recognize then um, that the faithful are faith-filled. So when I give, when I do something, and it doesn't benefit me, I'm trusting God to be, my, to be my reward. I'm not trying to live as a martyr. You know, some people, it just seems like, and, and it's kind of an interesting selfishness, right? They like being known as somebody who is a martyr, as somebody who, you know, endures pain for other people. They, they want, have you considered the oxymoron? Have you considered the contradiction of someone who wants to be known as unselfish? Have you thought about that? That's not really love. It's still selfish. I need you to know me as an unselfish person. I need you to know me as a servant. This is why Vernon would always, he would give me money for something, right? So when we were going to do um, the, the, this last Halloween, Vernon always went to the store and bought a big bunch of candy. Vernon wrote a check and handed me the check and said, now I don't want you to tell anybody this. So, I'd, you know, I'd give the ladies who do all of our, our, our you know, accounting and whatever, and I'd give them these things, and, and we had the understanding that none of you were to know about these things. But I'm guaranteeing you, virtually any time anything needed to be purchased in this church, Vernon was at the center of it, and he did not want to be known by anybody. Right? This is why Jesus jumped up and down on the Pharisees who liked to blow trumpets before they gave their money, who liked to pray nice and loud in public. Because that's what you're, you're, you're getting your reward from other people, right? You're just using religion as a way to get the reward. But that's not the way we are to be. Faithful people are often very humble people. Now, true to the nature of many faithful people, they will often feel like they're not terribly humble. But that encourages me all the more to say that they're genuinely humble because you're doing something. It's not how you feel. It's not how you act at every moment of time. It's the choices that you make. Humility is a choice to put yourself below other people, not because you're worse than other people, not because you think they're better than you, but because we have been told to honor others above ourselves. We've been told to act like Jesus, right? Have this mind in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself. Have the same mind. Have the same attitude of self-emptying. When you empty yourself of yourself, God can fill you with himself. Amen? And that's what you want. You don't want more money. You don't want more things. You don't need more approval, more of these. You need God's approval. That's all you need, right? And that's what we're going to get when we choose to be faithful. Number seven, the faithful do not lie. And every time you make a statement and you know that you have no intention of keeping it, even if you're not saying it as a lie at the moment, it's a lie. 
I won't get you to raise your hand if you're younger in this room, but this is something that I've noticed. I have younger people that say, hey, I'm going to call you back. I'm going to call you right back. I know they're not. I know they're not. They're just saying that. It's just a saying. Well, you know, I, I'll, I'll text you back. I'll, I'll, I'll let you know. No. No. I have just come to see that younger people are simply going to say that, and I do not expect to get a call back. Now, these are the best younger people that I know, who I love. Oh, Pastor Darrell, I'm, 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 hey, hey, I got another call. Let me, let me call you back. No, I won't. And here's how selfish I am. Thank goodness we've talked on the phone long enough. <laughs> Don't say it if you're not going to do it. Just say, hey, I got to get this other call. Okay. Because that's true. You're going to go get this other call. Hey, I need to get off the phone with you because somebody else called. Or how about this one? Somebody invites you to something and you say, oh, I can't go. But that's a lie. You don't want to go. Now, I get invited to do stuff on Saturday periodically, not so much anymore. In fact, I really wish I would have gone out to Lige and Sarah's to do the firework thing. I, I really wanted to do that. I know some super cool fireworks to bring and do that, but it was on a Saturday, and it's before Sunday, and I'm old, and I go to bed early. And so I just don't like to, you know, so when people invite me to stuff on Saturday, I just tell them I probably won't be there. Because it's on Saturday, you know? And, or if they invite me to do something and it starts at 8 o'clock at night. I know for some of you that's like early. No, not for me. <laughs> starts at 8 o'clock at night. I'm going to start wrapping things up right around 9. I'm going to be in bed by 10. I don't want to be at your house hanging out. I'm sorry. I'm just old. But on the other hand, when do you get up in the morning? Because I get up at about 4.30 or 5. Now, if you would have told me this is the way I was going to be at this age, I'd have gone, no, 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 no. When I was a youth minister, I used to go to bed at like 2 in the morning, wake up at like the crack of 10. I can't tell you the last time I woke up after 7. If the sun's up and I'm waking up, I am wasting the day, right? That's just, you know, how we flip-flop, okay? Here's all I'm saying. Don't lie. Number 8 is related to this. The faithful keep their promises, if you make, and this, you know, parents, you know this, okay? But those of you that are going to be parents, I'll give you this instruction. Don't tell your kids that you're going to do stuff. We're going to do this, and we're going to do that, and we're going to do that, and you, you don't know whether you're going to be able to carry that out. You may have good intentions. You may want to do that for your kids. It may express a desire that you have, so you're not lying, you have a plan, it's just not fully worked out, and you've got to get the money, and, and the time's got to come around. Whatever. No, just don't make those promises at all. Now, they, they'll wheedle you and want you to, you know, take them here, take them there, do this, do that. You know, well, we'll see. We'll see. We'll see. Okay? Just tell them, I can't tell you we're going to do that right now. And if you make a promise, if you say we're going to go here or we're going to do that, then bend over backwards and do it. Because I'm telling you, your kids are going to be 30 and they're going to remember your promises that you didn't keep. <laughs> My mom promised to buy me a pony and she never did. Okay, whatever. You know, I mean, parents are just trying to do their best and sometimes they're just going to, you know, say things. Yeah, okay, yes, we'll probably do that at some point. I just don't say that. 
keep your promises. Be a person of your word. That's what we need to be. That's, by the way, that's what integrity is. Did you know that? Integrity means you're one person. Integrity means when you say it, you're going to do it. All this is wrapped up together, right? Number 10 is the last one. You like this one. The faithful will be promoted both now and in eternity. I wanted to read you this parable. I could relate the parable to you, but I wanted to read you this parable that shows us that the faithful are promoted. Um, before I get to that, I want to I want to read you this verse. This is really good stuff. This is what Jesus said, and then I'll, I'll give you the parable that will validate this. Jesus said, if you are faithful in little things, you will be faithful in large ones. But if you are dishonest in little things, you won't be honest with greater responsibilities, right? So um, that's number nine. I skipped to number 10. Whoever is faithful in little things will be faithful in bigger things. Now, number 10, the faithful will be promoted. Listen to what Jesus said. He told this parable, which is a story that has a lesson behind it. Again, the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a man going on a long trip. He called together his servants and entrusted his money to them while he was gone. He gave five bags of silver to one, two bags of silver to another, and one bag of silver to the last. Now, in the original language, this is the word talent, and a talent was a weight of gold and, uh, or, or any metal, really, anything valuable. Um, in fact, the, the footnote here in the New Living Translation says, in Greek talents... Throughout the story, a talent is equal to 7.5 pounds. So, each of these bags then would contain 7.5 pounds of silver in this case. Verse 16. This is Matthew 25, by the way. The servant who received the five bags of silver began to invest the money and earned five more. The servant with two bags of silver also went to work and earned two more. But the servant who received the one bag of silver dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. After a long time, their master returned from his trip and called them to give an account of how they had used his money. The servant to whom he had entrusted the five bags of silver came forward with five more and said, Master, you gave me five bags of silver to invest, and I have earned five more. Did he keep any of the five bags? No, he knew that that money was his master's. He gave it all back to his master. Verse 21, the master was full of praise. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this small amount. So now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. The servant who had received the two bags of silver came forward and said, Master, you gave me two bags of silver to invest, and I have earned two more. The master said, Well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this small amount, so now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's go celebrate together. Then the servant with the one bag of silver came back and said, Master, I knew you were a harsh man, harvesting crops you didn't plant, gathering crops you didn't cultivate. I was afraid I would lose your money. So I hid it in the earth. Look, here's your money back. But the master replied, you wicked and lazy servant. If you knew I harvested crops I didn't plant and gathered crops I didn't cultivate, why didn't you deposit my money in the bank? At least I could have gotten some interest on it. Then he ordered, take the money from this servant and give it to the one who has the 10 bags of silver. To those who use well what they are given, even more will be given. And they will have an abundance. But from those who do nothing, 
Even what little they have will be taken away. Now throw this useless servant out into the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Boy, that's rough. We don't all have the same amount of money. Technically, we all have the same amount of time, 168 hours a week. Although I would say those of you with children actually have less time because you're dividing it among them. I have more time than you, even though we have 168 hours a week. That's why typically, if I'm going to get in a meeting with uh, some of our ministers, I think virtually all of whom are uh, parents, I, I'm going to try to give them as much time as I can give them to, to make the plan. If I'm meeting with just one set of parents, whatever, I'm, I, or even those of you that, that don't have control over your time with your job, I'm not going to demand that you come on my schedule. I can adjust my schedule. And some of you, many of you, can't adjust your schedules. You can't just drop your children and come up to the church and do this, that, or the other thing. I'm cognizant and I'm aware of that. We all have different talents, different abilities, different amounts, different resources. It's not how much you have. It's what you do with what you have. Did you hear that? I should have put that in there as number 11. It's not how much you have. It's what you do with what you have. But one thing we can all be is faithful to the Lord that gave us all that. Now, I said, God will promote you even in eternity. There's another version of this story in Luke. And in that story, uh, instead of using the word talent, it uses another Greek word of, of measuring money called the mina, a mina. But it clearly says there that the master, when they came back with what they'd invested, he put them over that many cities. Can I just say this to you? When you get to heaven, it's not just going to be sitting around on clouds playing harps. It's not even just going to be walking up and down the streets of gold, singing praises, and just kind of looking around like, wow, this is great. What am I going to do for eternity? Eternal retirement. How fun is this? You're going to have stuff to do. Right now, you're in training for reigning. God's going to put you in charge of something. And it's going to be dependent on what you're doing with what you have right here, right now on earth. You think all this is meaningless? Everything you do down here is meaningful. Everything has consequences on earth and in eternity. But you and I better be concerned about eternity. So when you're faithful in little things down here you will be made faithful with more up there. In fact, it's just a proverb or a principle here. If you're faithful in small things, people will see you responsible and make you faithful over more. This happened with Joseph, got sold into slavery, and the master puts him in charge of various household tasks, and he's so good at it that eventually the master just put him in charge of his whole house. He said, this guy's completely responsible. And then his wife lied on him, Right? Said Joseph wanted her when he didn't want her. And, and you know, a, a woman's spurned. There's no hell like, uh, hell hath no fury like a woman's spurned. And so, you know, she got him kicked out. So he goes to jail. He's made the number one trustee because he's responsible. Everywhere he goes, he moves to the top. Why? Because he's faithful. Because he's responsible. He didn't say, oh, my brother sold me into slavery. I don't know what I'm going to do with my life. No, he just continued to be responsible. He knew people were going to see that, and he was going to work his way to the top. Guess what? Joseph ended up being number two in charge of the entire nation of Egypt. God put him in the favor of Pharaoh. 
You be responsible with little things. You be faithful with little things, and God will make you faithful over much. He's not going to give you more than you can handle. Not everybody wants to be president. Not everybody wants to be at the, at the head of the table, right? Honestly, after 20 years of being, I'm going up on 21 years of being in charge of this church, I don't have to be in charge of stuff anymore. I just do it because that's what I'm called to do. And if somebody else comes along and they can do it, then I'll give it to them happily. You know, it's not a matter of being in charge. You think, you know, just being in control and being in charge is everything, and it's really not. You just want to be what God wants you to be. Let's go back to what Pastor Craig said uh, about Vernon and what you heard Vernon say in the video. He, at the conclusion of that talk about on Veterans Day, about uh, his, uh, his exploits in World War II and how he didn't get what he wanted, he said, I've come to see that it's not what I want, but it's what the Lord wills. He said, I, you know, I can pray for what I want, but he said, I pray, not my will, but thy will be done. And that's what you and I need to pray. And that's why I said in that video, and I'll say again, with God, a no is just as good as a yes. You don't want to get what you want. You want God's will because it will always be the greatest reward. Let me ask you to bow your head and close your eyes. We have one more song. We're going to take up our offering. Hopefully you've been inspired by Vernon and the word has gotten through to your heart and you'll allow the Lord to work with you in whatever way he chooses But if you don't have a relationship with God, you've never established that relationship that Vernon talked about that he established when he was a child. Some of us don't establish that like I did until they're teenagers, others as adults. There are people that don't establish a relationship with Jesus until they're Vernon's age. You need to choose to call on the name of the Lord Jesus to be saved. You get the choice to allow Christ to come into your heart and take control of you. And then faithfulness will be the natural outflow of your life. So pray with me if you will. If you want Jesus in your heart, just say this. Say, dear Jesus, forgive me of my sin. I believe in you. You are the son of God. You died on the cross. You rose from the grave. I invite you into my life. Take control of me. Be my Savior. Jesus Christ, you are Lord. Amen.